In the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit and God, Amen. So we already covered chapter 7 of Daniel. And you guys remember we said the first few chapters in the book of Daniel, the first half is mainly stories. And the last half is all the prophecies that Daniel have seen and being interpreting. And we said in chapter 7 that Daniel have seen three different sites. The first one was four different animals, one coming after each other, reminding us of the four different kingdom. We also said that the last kingdom was an important kingdom because in it, it, refer it showed us what's going to happen before the first coming of Christ and what's going to happen before the second coming of Christ. And we said that the first and the second coming of Christ, there's a lot of things that are very similar. And when you see the scripture, whether in Matthew, whether in Jeremiah, whether in Isaiah, whenever they speak of the first coming, there's always elements of the second coming because they're very similar. We said how John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way. Elisha and Enoch will be sent to prepare the way. We said how before the first coming of Christ, there was Antichus Epiphanius, uh, and, and uh, somebody who would describe as, who challenged God of Israel, and he persecuted the Jews. And we said before the second coming, there'll be the Antichrist. Both of them will rule for about seven years, the Antichrist for seven years, Antichus Epiphanius for seven years. They will pursue the church, persecute, Christian, persecute, uh, persecute Judaism. So there's a lot of similarity. So that fourth kingdom became an important kingdom. And said Daniel also saw the site of the ancient of days. God the Father in heaven. And he saw also God the Son ascending to heaven. And God the Father, as we know in the book of Philippians, he gave all judgment to the Son. It means the Son because he came to save us, he will also come and judge us. Now we're chapter 8. Chapter 8, the prophecies that we'll see in chapter 8 is very similar to chapter 7. But remember I told you quite often when God is sending a message or a, or a, or a prophecy, he sends it a couple of times to emphasize the message, to show that this message is true. This is not just, uh, just a one-time thing. And we'll see sometimes Daniel was sleeping. He saw it in a dream. Now we will see Daniel actually is awake. And he's actually being transported in time to go. So we'll see also again in chapter 8, we will see God showing Daniel how the kingdoms are also like animals. It's the same idea. He also will show him certain events that will happen in the, in the history of the world and focus on the persecutions of the Jews but I just want to stop here and explain something to you because that's also very helpful a lot of times when you go to school and you study Old Testament some of the Old Testament scholars will tell you or, or professors will tell you well Daniel as a book was written very uh, late were written in the Maccabees period so as he's writing these things he already knew all, all what happened so it's no longer a prophecy, just more his kind of writing what, what happened. Obviously, this, this ideology, this idea has a lot of issues. Because Daniel prophesied the first coming of Christ, which happened in the Roman Empire. So there's no way, there's no way that Daniel was written after Jesus came. That's just historically not true. So even if this is true, if what they're saying could be a possibility, which is not, but it's probably, it's, it could only cover half of the prophecy, okay? Not the full prophecy. The second thing is, if I say, if the way I date the book, like if I'm making a prophecy, and I'm telling you guys, in 20 years, you know, in 2024, uh, you know, I know who's going to win the presidential election. If I'm making a prophecy, and when 2024 comes, You'd be like, no, when Abu Amina made that video, it was in 2024. You're taking the element of the prophecy. You're taking the element of the authenticity of the Bible. Is the Bible, are the words of the Bible true or not true? Because if you're going and trying to prove it's not true, you're going to come up with all these things that doesn't match with the reality that we have seen. And just kind of to give you a little bit of structure for this chapter, so chapter 8, basically the first two verses are an introduction, just to tell us the time and the place, and then from 3 to 14, they are the vision that Daniel have seen, 
And this vision and it has three different components, we'll go through them. And then chapter from verse 15 to 26 is the interpretation of the visions. And then verse 27 is a concluding statement of the visionary reaction. It's basically how did Daniel react to this vision. So we'll go through it kind of step by step, but I want you guys as you go through this, specifically this chapter, notice there are slight differences from the last prophecies and there are certain things that are being added slightly. First of all, to emphasize the old prophecy, but also to give us more information. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, to me, Daniel, after the one that appeared to me the first time. So here, guys, remember we said Nebuchadnezzar was the greatest king in Babylon. He had a son. His name is Nabodius. Nabodius, he was camping outside Babylon, so he made his son Belshazzar reign, be responsible for Babylon. So at that time, Belshazzar did not really like Daniel very much, so he put him aside. And we said during this time, Daniel saw a lot of his vision. So this is in the third year of the king Belshazzar, which is about 550 BC. What's happening in the world during that time? Babylon is the main kingdom in this time. Cyrus established the Medi-Persian Empire. So basically, think about it this way. Babylon is the big kingdom. It's like the America of today. And all of a sudden, they see two decent amount of kingdom. They are uniting together. So what's going to happen? Well, there's war that's coming. Because now we're going to have a coalition between two medium-sized kingdom. And you have one big kingdom. They're going to have to fight each other. So the world at that time was very anxious. And some people said Nabodius, the son of Nebuchadnezzar, he actually tried to see if he can form a correlation with Egypt and uh, Lydia. It's another major area at that time to see if, if they can overcome the Medi and Persian correlation. And this is something common in our life. The world is always anxious, nothing new. And every time you open the news, you can only see anxious events and anxious stories. And every time I'm trying to get peace from the world, I'll be very disappointed. Every time I'm trying to get peace from the world, I'll be very disappointed. If I'm waiting for the next president to save my life, I'll be very disappointed. I've seen this one. Uh, one of the, the president, President Obama, one, you saw people crying and, you know, and people emotionally and as if like all their problems are going to be gone. The world is always anxious. At that time, Daniel was about 70 years old. 70 years old, Daniel continued to be faithful to God. Prays three times a day works in the, in the palace, does not defile himself with the king's food. But most likely the revelation that Daniel saw today is well before chapter 5. You guys remember chapter 5, what happened when Belshazzar had this really great feast and he invited a thousand of his kingdom, uh, thousands of his king, and he saw a writing on the wall, menna, menna, tekel, and person, and told him you have been weighed and you have been found wanted. So all these events happened before the fall of Babylon. And most likely also that maybe Belshazzar have heard about these uh, revelations. Verse 2, it says, I saw in the vision, this is not a dream, in the vision, and it so happened while I was looking, that I was in Shoshan, the city Dal, which is the providence of Alam, and I saw in the vision that I was by the river Yulai. So what's happening this time? Daniel was almost taken like a hermit and he saw himself in a place that he has never been there before. Maybe he has historically, I don't know, but a place that's different. The word citadel is, means a city that is itself as a fortress. It's a very strong city that is protected very well. And uh, Shoshin was about 220 miles away from Babylon, 150 miles from the Persian Gulf. So he saw himself, almost at this time, he saw himself 
in, the, in one of the key cities of the Mede and Persian Empire. So he was not only transported in space, he was also transported in time. He was also transported eh, in time. Okay? And actually in 521, the Persian king, he made Alam, the city, he made it the capital of his administrative stuff. All his administrative work became in the city. And Alam is actually today is Iran. This is the, the location for it. And if you look in the book of Esther and the book of Nehemiah, you will see it taking place in this place, in Shushan of the city. So this is a very common place. And that river, as I was telling you last time, this river was actually dried up, but at that time it was still, it was still alive. And it's important for us to keep that in mind because even Ezekiel also saw visions. So God speaks to his people through dreams, but also through visions. To affirm the message and also to make them see lots of details that they personally can talk about without even being there. And we'll actually see at the end of the chapter, it tells us that Daniel was in Babylon. He was not traveling anywhere. So he was not like, you know, in a place physically there. He was actually transported in time and space and came back. Then I lifted my eyes and saw, and there standing beside the river was a ram which had two horns, and the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. So he saw a ram that has two horns, one was higher than the other, and then the smaller one kind of defeated the bigger one. And we, similar to what we talked about last chapter, this represents, the two horns represents Mede and Persian. And initially the, Pers the Mede was a smaller kingdom, but then the Persian came and took over. And actually Aram is a very good description of the Persian and Mede. One of the historians, um, he said that the Persian ruler used to work at a gold head of Ram when he marched into a war. So this was something kind of common in their time. Okay, so initially this is historically what happened. A little kingdom, there were two united, two coalition that were united. The weaker side became stronger and took over. The Persian became more important and took over. And this is the world that we live in. It's a matter of everybody fighting for power. Even your friends, even when you go to work, even when you're in school, a lot of times all what people do are fighting for the next promotion, Who's going to notice me? Who's going to speak highly of me? It's just a matter of constant competition, even if it comes to the point where I have to break some of the promises I have made to a partner that I've been working with. I saw the ram pushing westward, northward, southward, so that no animal could withstand him, nor was there any that could deliver from his hand but he did according to his will and became great. So the Bible says that this animal went west. This is where Babylon, Syria, Asia Minor, and to the, to the Greece border. He went north. This is where Armenia is, and the Caspian Sea area. This is next to Europe. He went south where Egypt and Ethiopia is. So this ram, he's taking over basically most of the known world. And no animal could stand. Apparently some animals, some people tried to revolt against this animal, but they could not stand against them. All right? And as I was considering, suddenly a male goat came from the west across the surface on the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. So you guys, by now you should memorize this. The first kingdom is what? Babylon. The second, Median Persian. The third, Greece. The fourth, the Romans. We have seen this in the statue that the Nebuchadnezzar have seen. We have seen this in the last chapter. We are seeing this in this chapter. So after Media and Persia, who's coming? The Greek. So how the Greek look like? He said, the Greek here, he says, they are coming as a goat. And there's a really big horn in the middle of the goat. And actually, Gabriel, the angel, he's going to explain to Daniel exactly what does this mean in verse 20, 21. He's telling him that the one who's coming from the west... Is the, is the Greek. 
and they're crossing and walking swiftly, quickly, because how quickly Alexander the Great conquered the whole world. You guys know Alexander the Great was born in 365. His dad was Philip of Macedonia. And he was discipled by Aristotle. And only when he was 20 years old, in 363, he succeeded his father. And a year later, a year and a half, he started attacking the Persian. And slowly by slowly, he conquered the whole world. He conquered the whole world. And as I was reading this actually passage in my mind, I was like, you know, when we go to uh, history classes, everybody's so impressed by Alexander the Great. Impressive guy. Within 10 years, he conquered the whole world. But very few people know about Daniel, whom sitting in his room, and he knows everything. And God reveals to him the secrets of the world. And it, and it gives us the secrets of the kingdom. Today we were reading in the gospel, in the, in the literature we are reading from John 12. God told him, the world I, have spoken, I have spoken will judge you. The words of God, the, the, the prophecies, the secrets of God becomes our biggest what? Our biggest enlightenment. Whether it provokes us to walk with God or it could judge us. It's saying that this in, in verse 6 says, that, Then he came to the ram that had two horns. So this goat came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing beside the river, and ran at him with furious power. The goat came like mad, mad goat. And I saw him confronting the ram, and he was moved with rage against him, attacked the ram, and broke his two horns. There was no power in the lamb to withhold, withstand him, but he cast him down to the ground, trampled him, and there was no one that could deliver the ram from his hands. So this, this goat came with great anger. By the way, historically, Cyrus of Media and Persia, he used to fight the Greek a lot. And he tried to invade them multiple times. And there was a big invasion in 490. And his son, uh, Xerxes, in 480 as well. So Alexander, when he went to fight them, he was very angry with the Persian. He's fighting him with great anger because they tried to come and invade his own home. So he's coming in with uh, rage to take over their kingdom. Therefore, the male goat grew very great. But when he became strong, the large horn was broken in place. Uh, uh, was broken, and, and in place of it, notable ones came up toward the four winds of the heaven. So the goat has one big horn. And then once the horn grows so big, that horn broke, and four different horns came. So what's the story here? When Alexander the Great conquered the world, he actually thought that he was the, uh, his ancestors were Achilles and Hercules. You guys have seen probably when you read Greek, Greek uh, mythology, you hear about Achilles, the great warrior, and the god Hercules. So he thought of himself to be the ancestor of these great gods. And that's kind of the extension of human pride. When you become so successful in a worldly sense, without the spiritual to kind of balance us out and keep us humble, people think their imagination never stops. And they can imagine that they are gods. And sometimes, even by the way, you might find yourself daydreaming sometime. And when you daydream, your dreams can take you far. And that's what happened with Alexander the Great. All the successes he had in the world made him think that there's no way I'm a regular human being. Even though he's flesh and blood, what happened? He thought that he was an ancestor of gods. He did have a large kingdom of about 1.5 million square miles. But what's amazing is, you know how Alexander the Great died? In his way back from Babylon to the east, what happened? He had a fever. 
And some people say it was because of malaria. And he died in 323. This great powerful king who destroyed the whole world in no time died from what? From fever. At some point, you might feel the person in front of you is invincible, but God, with a small virus like the pandemic we have, he shut the whole world in no time. Alexander the Great obviously is significant because he was one of the reasons that the Greek language spread everywhere. He was unique in that sense. He didn't only want to uh, take over countries, but he wanted to spread the Greek culture and the Greek language and growths. So later on when the New Testament came, there was already the Greek language, so it was easy for people to translate the Old Testament to Greek, the Septuagint, and also uh, use the New Testament in Greek. By the way, Alexander the Great had two sons, Alexander the Fourth and Hercules, and both of them were murdered. And after this, they divided his kingdom among four different leaders in four different sides of the world. And when I was, as I was doing research on this, I was kind of thinking, wow. Sometime you look at people like Alexander the Great and you think, look at all his success. He must have been very happy. He must have lived a very fulfilling life. But maybe at the very high level, at the very powerful level, people are so stressed. There's so much envy, jealousy. There's not a lot of peace. You're constantly trying to protect your authority. So the things that might look from outside, the world might make it look good in itself, might not be good. I remember when I used to, I used to work at, at the pharmaceutical company and I had one of my friends. So we were talking, he was a very successful in his, under, in his education. He had a PhD in chemistry from Berkeley. So he was talking, I was talking to him about like, you know, career development and things like that. And he told me, you know what? I really don't want to get promoted. I told him, why? It doesn't make any sense. He told me because I see how my manager works. She comes to work from 7 a.m. She leaves every day at 10 p.m. And sometimes they call her on the weekends. He's like, I don't want this job. Even though it's, you might feel, wow, it's cool to be a manager. It's, mind, it's cool to be powerful. might have authority. But at the end, some things are lost. I'm not discouraging you from... I'm just discouraging us from building our own dreams based on an external image. Rather, based on what God wants for us. Daniel is a very powerful person as well. But he's there because he let God lead him to be there. And out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, toward the glorious land. So just remember, the goat came and the goat had one horn. And that horn was grew so much. This is Alexander the Great. He was broken. Four different horns came. And then he's saying, out of these four horns, a small horn came and became very great and very powerful. And you guys remember, we said the small horn was one of the four, the four uh, uh, divisions of the Greek kingdom is the Seleucids. Seleucids were from Syria. So one of the kings that came was the one we talked about. His name is Antiochus Epiphanius. And he grew. And even though, by the way, he was not the rightful person to take the kingdom, he, he uh, it was his nephew. So he, through some sort of bribe and, and flattery and things like that, he, he came to power. And when he came to power, he tried to go south toward Egypt, east toward Persia. And when they say toward the glorious land, they're talking about Palestine. This Palestine was used to be referred to as a beautiful land. Not because only the, the honey and the milk and all the, all the, the fruitful of the land, but because God has chosen this place for his own people. So this 
horn is becoming powerful, going Egypt, going Palestine, going to Persia. And it grew up to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host and some of the stars to the ground and trembled them. So what did the king do? They said this king exalted himself all the way to the heaven. He almost, he almost thought he can insult God of, the God of Israel. And he casted down the host and some of the stars of the ground. It means that he took the stars, usually refers to the saints. He took some of the saints and he actually persecuted them. He had full control over them. And he challenged God himself. And trampled on them, it means a severe persecution. Antiphus, Antichus Epiphanius persecution started in 170 BC by the murder of the high priest, Onianus III. And it was his, the, the persecution lasted for seven years. It lasted until 163. Okay? During this period, by the way, he executed, he killed thousands of Jews. Executed. What? Let me tell you yani, how the story happened. Antiochus went to to Egypt to fight it and take over it. Rome was not happy with that. Rome was very powerful at that time, and they were really getting really powerful. They sent him one person, a senator. They told him he better go back. So when he went back, he was very upset because he was going to take Egypt. So on his way back, he went to Jerusalem and he destroyed Jerusalem. He killed 80,000 people. 80,000 people in Israel. And he trampled on the Jewish saints and he, as you guys, I told you last time, he put a, a statue of Zeus to be worshipped in the temple. And it's important for us to remember when I was telling you that the first and the second coming of Christ are very similar. Antichus Epiphanius is nothing but to point us to the Antichrist who will come and persecute the saints. And by the way, what does the Bible say? He says the stars are falling. Some of the saints in the time of the Antichrist will fall. And Antichus Epiphanius points us to Antichrist, like in the Old Testament, for example, the Passover used to point us to the Eucharist. And the Eucharist points us to having eternal unity with God. So in the Old Testament, the Passover was not very clear. In the New Testament, Eucharist became much clearer. In heaven, the unity with God becomes the full knowledge. He even exalted himself as the high prince of the host. And by him, the daily sacrifice were taken away and the place and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. He felt obviously that his Greek gods were above Yahuwah and he made the Jews not to offer the morning and the evening sacrifice, which was required in the book of Exodus and the book of Numbers. And he required the Jews to have allegiance to his Greek gods. Like now in our days, people require sometimes us to have allegiance to different moral standards that we don't believe in. And he brought the sanctuary, the holy place, low. It means he desecrated the, the, the temple. And this is the work of the devil. He tries to make us break all our worship practice. The day I start finding my prayer, my Bible reading, my confession, all these practices are being delayed or broken. This is a day where I'm allowing him to come and trample over me. Remember, our Lord Jesus Christ said, if you believe in me, you abide in my word. So when I want to believe in God more, I abide more in God. And I've never, maybe some of you guys have seen, but personally, I've never seen somebody who practices their relationship with God and all of a sudden turns atheist. Usually they practice and then they stop practicing then they get lazy, then after they get lazy, they start developing new habits, 
that is not good habits, and then they start hanging with the wrong crowds, and then eventually, because they don't want to feel guilty about what they are, they start developing new moral standard, different than God, and then eventually step by step by step until you come to a point where I don't believe in God anymore. Look at verse 12, it says, Because of transgression, an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifice and cast truth down to the ground. He did all this and prospered. What does it mean because of the transgression? God is saying, because of the sins of the Jews. God allowed Antiochus Epiphanius to persecute the people of Israel. If you guys actually open the book of Maccabee, you will see something interesting. And it's my favorite things. They used to say that the priests, when they used to pray in the temple, what would they do? They tried to finish the prayer quickly so they can go to the gym and watch the games. That's the priests. Bring, bring memories, right? If you have the Super Bowl or if you have any important game, what happens? People might skip the liturgy or might skip whatever habit they have to run. Sometimes we adjust our schedule in the church based on the Super Bowl. Just because this is what people like. But in the, in, the, in the book of Maccabees, people have started to stray so far from God. For God says that transgression, their transgression must be punished. And they had about three horrible years, especially halfway through from 166, uh, 67 to 164. And in this whole point, God allowed Antiochus to have absolute power over the saints. And not only this, it says he took the truth and turned it to the ground. What does it mean? Actually, he did not allow people to have the book of the law. If he finds you having the book of the law, you are punished to death. And any book of the law were found, they were torn into pieces. Because he does not want to have the work of the Lord around. And we see this happening now where people do not welcome anymore the word of God in many places. And remember a long time ago when I, you know, when I moved to America, every hotel I go to, there's always a Bible. Every hospital bed you go to, there's always a Bible. Now even the Christian hospital sometimes they don't have the Bibles or they take down crosses so they don't offend anybody. There's a process where they can no longer stand the word of God. Then I heard a holy one speaking to another. Holy one said to that certain one who was speaking, How long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation, the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? So basically, as he's seeing this whole fight between the goat and the ram, one of the angels speaking to another angel. And he's telling him, how long will this vision take to be fulfilled? What is the timeline? This great tribulation that the people will be under, the people under Antiochus Epiphanius, how long will it take? And it shows, it's almost like the angels are family. And Daniel should have asked this question, but because maybe he's overwhelmed, we'll see that he was overwhelmed at the end. So the angel kind of helped him out. He asked the other angel, how long will that take? He said to me, for 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be closed. How many days? 2,300 days. If you calculate 2,300 days, it will come to how many? Six years and almost four months. How long did Antiochus Epiphanius reign? From 164, from December 164 to 170. Roughly six years and a half. This is exact time frame of the reign of Antiochus Epiphanius.
And then he said, he told him, after this period, the temple will be reconsecrated. What's going to happen after this period? In 164, Judas the Maccabees, he came and he formed a revolt against Antiochus Epiphanius. And he took over and they reconsecrated the temple. That's why you know the Jews celebrate the Hanukkah. What's the Hanukkah? The Hanukkah is the feast of dedication. When Judas the Maccabees came and took over from Antiochus Epiphanius and they reconsecrated, uh, rededicated the temple to God. And actually we see our Lord Jesus Christ is speaking about the Hanukkah in John 10.22. He says it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem and it was uh, winter in John 10.22. So this is a feast that we hear about all the time. Then it happened when I, Daniel, had seen the vision and was speaking the meaning, that suddenly there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. Now suddenly, after the two angels are talking, all of a sudden he had somebody who had the appearance of a man. He's more than a man. He's much more powerful than a man. And Daniel, when he saw angels, he reacted normal. Like he sees angels all the time. We'll see what happens when he sees this man. Okay? And obviously this man is our Lord Jesus Christ. And I heard a voice between the banks of the Uli, this is the river, who called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So it's almost like as if this man is in flying in, in the air in front, in, on the top of the river, and he's ordering Gabriel, Gabriel the angel told him, make this man understand the, the vision. Gabriel obviously, as you guys know, is a special angel that is used to announce the details of our salvation. He came to Zechariah. He came to Mary. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell on my face. But I said, he said to me, understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time of the end. So when Daniel saw the image of that man standing between the river, what happened? He fell on his face. He did not fill, fill on his face when he was talking to Gabriel or talking to the angels. And by the way, this is, explains to us a little bit about the fear of God. God is fearful. Any of us will get nervous if you're giving a speech, for example, to Harvard professors. How would you feel? You feel a little bit nervous. What about standing in front of God? That he knows you more than you know yourself. He knows you more than he knows yourself. By telling him, understand that these visions refer to the time of the end. Usually when he says here, time to the end, he's talking about the time of the end of the prophecies. And the time of the end, by the way, could mean the end of time. It could mean the end of prophecies. But in the, in the Hebrew, in the, in, in the Jewish text usually, what helps us determine is the context of the conversation, the context of the writing, okay? And when he told him, son of man, he was referring to Daniel as the son of man, refers to his weakness and his mortality. In Ezekiel, by the way, the word son of man is mentioned nine, three times. It means the same thing. It means the same thing. Now as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and stood me upright. This verse might seem confusing. When Daniel is in a vision and he's seeing all this stuff, he was actually, it's emotionally and physically draining. This is not like a fun thing, seeing all the violence and all the wars and all the events of history. It's actually draining to him. And you will see at the end of the chapter, he said that this vision made me sick, made him ill. Sometimes we think these things are cool. You know, like, for example, some people who, uh, who, will, who will experience some of the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross in their own body. It's very painful. It's very painful. But here it says, and, and Gabriel came and woke him up and said, Look, I am making known to you what shall happen in the later time of the indignation 
for at the appointed time the end shall be. He's telling him, this is what's going to happen by the wrath when the period of the wrath of God is, is done. By the way, when we talk about the wrath of God here, it's really the purpose of it to show God's righteousness. Because God rejects and hates sin. How many of us would like to be treated unjustly without, without receiving any sort of compensation? Like if you're, just simple thing, if you're driving and somebody hit you and, run, and ran, how would you feel? Right? We say forgive because God forgives us. But also God hates sin. And His righteousness does not allow sin. But here, the person that received the condemnation is Antichus Epiphanius for all what he has done and also the unfaithfulness of Israel that caused the wrath of God. The ram which you saw having the two horns, they are the kings of Media and Persia, and the male goat is the king of Greece. The large horn that is between its eyes is the first king, which is Alexander the Great. And as for the broken horn and the four that stood up in its place, four kings shall arise out of that nation, but not with its power. So the four kings that will come after Alexander the Great are not going to be in the same power as Alexander the Great. And that's certainly true. And in the later time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, when God says this is the, the Jews have reached, have reached the fullness, what does it mean, have reached the fullness? Think about it this way. As long as the earth has righteous people who are praying, we still deserve to exist. But if the earth only has evil people, and there is none of the chosen people on earth, so what's the point? You guys understand what I'm trying to say? As long as the earth has a righteous people to pray for it, continues to exist if there's no, that's why your prayers and my prayer and everybody's prayer is important for here he's saying that that the, he's gonna wait until the level of transgression of Israel reaches a certain point when they have gone so so far and God says you're gonna have to experience my anger now my judgment because you have gone so far and this is important because in our life we keep making compromises after compromises after compromises until we've gone so, so, so far over the past just 20 years alone in our life here we have completely changed. Completely changed. I'll give you an example. I remember when when uh, when I, I, I moved to America recently, they would have usually a, a, an interview with different, whoever is running for president in America. And I remember that almost every president who ran 20 years ago, including Obama in his first term, Bush, everybody would have to say that I believe marriage should be between man and woman. That was a common thing. And most likely you're not gonna succeed <laughs> if you say otherwise. Now within, a 20-year period, less than a 20-year period, it flipped. People make small compromises over all the time. It says, and in the later, in the later time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached the, the fullness, a king shall arise having fierce features who understands sinister schemes. So this is, the, this is Antichus Epiphanius. And Antichus Epiphanius was the master of intrigue. He was a political master. and knew how to deceive people. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully and shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty and also the people, the holy people. And this is what we already have talked about. Antichus had power and he destroyed, destroyed, destroyed even the saints. And some people say God allowed him to, to have power, but his actual physical power was from Satan. 
because it reminds us of what's going to happen with the Antichrist in the book of Revelation 13.2 and also 2 Thessalonians when it talks about how the Antichrist will have uh, power from the devil. And he prosper in everything he does. It means he's going to prosper in all his conquests, in deceiving people, in having a strong war. does not mean he prospers in terms of spiritual success. Through his cunning, he shall cause the seed to prosper under his rule, and he shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without human means. This is another beautiful addition. So already this prophecy here added multiple things. One, we said Daniel was in a vision, not in a dream. Number two, it gave the exact period for the Antichus Epiphanius. Now it doesn't only give the exact period, it talks about how he's going to die. It says, but he shall be broken without human means. Antichus Epiphanius is not going to die because of a war or assassination. According to the book of Maccabees, he died of grief, sadness, depression, depression because he was defeated in Persia and uh, his city was seized and he received that his forces had been rooted out by the Jews in Palestine. So when he received a couple of bad news about his army, he died out of depression, sadness. This Antiochus Epiphanius who dared to stand against God and he waged a war against God. And this is, again, this reflection of what's going to happen to the Antichrist. He will die by the power of God. Remember in the book of Revelation it says that the Antichrist will defeat Elisha and Enoch. And the vision of the evening and morning which was told is true. Therefore seal up the vision for it refers to many days in the future. Here he's telling him seal it. Because it talks about the... Ex and, and, and when he tells him seal it and tells him it refers to many days in the future. He tells him this prophecy specifically talks about how many days the Antiochus Epiphanius will rule. This is one of the most important secrets of the prophecy. If I tell him seal it, seal it up, you have to keep it, preserve it, because it will be shared with the saints of the church. And Antiochus Epiphanius, by the way, came 400 years after Daniel. This was 400 years before Daniel. And next week, you'll see another prophecy that will really impress you. And I, Daniel, look at what happened and fainted. At the end, he couldn't take it anymore. Fainted. And was sick for days. He's not fainted for one night. Stayed for a couple of days. Afterwards, I arose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. Uh, Daniel was exhausted. He became ill. He became ill. And as I was telling you, some of these, some of these news, when I learn about the future, if you have the true heart of a child of God, it makes you sometime want to mourn and cry for the people of God. But here he was exhausted, but then he said he went around to do his palace work. Remember I told you during Belshazzar period, Daniel did not have an important role, but most likely Nabodius, which is the father of Belshazzar, allowed Daniel to do some work, some little work around the palace because he knew him from before. And even though Daniel have seen the prophecy, and even though the angel explained it to him, he still did not understand it fully. He still did not understand it fully. And if Daniel was writing this when these events already happened, which historically cannot be because the book of Daniel existed before then, why would he be confused? So here we talk about Another prophecy 
and in this prophecy emphasizes the first one but adds more details but also gives us more details on what's going to happen for the, with the Antichrist. There's a lot of similarity between Antichrist Epiphanes and Antichrist. The Antichrist will be master of intrigue. He will have a great power. This is mentioned in 2 Thessalonians. Master of intrigue is mentioned in, uh, in 7, 8. He will destroy thousands, like the, anti the, the Antichrist will kill, destroy more, a lot of people, like you see in Revelation 13, 15. He will prosper for a short time. So the Antichrist Epiphanes prosper for a short time. And the Antichrist will also prosper for a brief time. You'll see this in Revelation 17, 12. Uh, the Antichrist persecuted the saints. Antichrist will, will oppress the believer. You see this in Revelation 13, 7. Antichrist was the deceiver. The Antichrist was the master of deceit. You'll see this in Revelation. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9, Revelation 13, 4. Antichrist was proud of himself to the point that he made the coin, the coin uh, for his rule, it said Epiphanus. It means uh, illust uh, uh, or God manifest. So even he put his name on the, on the coin to say God manifest. I'm, I'm the image of God kind of a thing because of his arrogance. The, the Antichrist will also be the same one. He'll be arrogant and, and one of the most arrogant individuals that the world have seen. You see this in Revelation 13.5. Antiochus blasphemed against God. The Antichrist will blaspheme against God. Antiochus was not killed by a human being. The Antichrist is not going to be killed by a human being. You will see this in Revelation 19. 19. The period of Antiochus was 17, 7 years of persecution. Antichrist is 7 years. It's almost a mere image. That's why it's very common, as I was telling you earlier, when somebody prophesies about the first coming, they prophesy about the second coming. It's very clear, okay? I just wanna tell you guys, when we look at these prophecies, when we look at them, we should be truly thankful that our God can reveal to his saints even the day and the time of when events will happen. It should also make us Look at the scripture differently. Take the word of God more seriously. See the events around us differently. Because everything already is known to God. We don't need to guess. And he is revealing to us what's going to happen. Next week, God willing, we'll see a very unique prophecy. It's one of the most known in the book of Daniel. It's called the weeks prophecy or the seven weeks prophecy. And this prophecy is extremely unique because it talks about event that will happen still. And here we talk about a little bit of mere image between Antiochus Epiphanius and the Antichrist. Next week we'll talk about events that will happen in the future. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.